Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. I have a reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to, to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Well, before we explore our scripture portion today, I want us to continue to center ourselves a little bit in God's spirit. I know I can't be the only one here who feels a little twitchy when words like authoritative and unclean spirit and possessed are in our scripture portion today. So we're going to do a breath prayer again to borrow from uh, Black Liturgies. You'll probably be hearing a lot about that (laughs) in the coming weeks because um, it's amazing. So get yourself a copy. Um, if you can. But when on the inhale, when we breathe in, I will say, God, restore me to myself. And on the exhale, I'll say, let this breath be a healing. We'll do this a couple of times. Actually, I'm going to change that word. Let this breath be amending. Let this breath be amending. So God, restore me to myself. Let this breath be amending. God, restore me to myself. Let this breath be amending. God of new beginnings and fresh starts, draw us into your holy imagination. Illuminate the life of Jesus for us. Where we need you most, be a balm for our spirit, a buoy in times of turbulence and a comfort for our hearts. Amen. This fourth Sunday after Epiphany, we're still in this liturgical period where Jesus' identity is being revealed at the beginning of his ministry. In Mark's gospel, we kind of get a sense of urgency, and this first chapter is full of a lot of action and immediacy, because for Mark, there's no time to waste in telling this story. There's no soft introduction, just John the Baptist on the scene announcing that the Lord was coming soon. And then in just a few short verses, we have Jesus' baptism. We have a testing in the wilderness. He's calling the first disciples. He's traveling now to Capernaum. And after this verse, he's going to keep moving on and healing and teaching and performing miracles. Jesus is on the move. But within all of these stories, there's this underlying theme in Mark that his actions show what it means when the kingdom of God draws near. And friends, when the kingdom of God draws near, the people who encounter it are no longer the same. Our passage today has Jesus going to Capernaum 
And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and he began to teach. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were so amazed and they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with some authority? He even gives orders to the impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So this is Jesus' first kind of public act of ministry, and it's a powerful one. Not only is he teaching in the synagogue with authority, you guys, this is where my mind runs off on a tangent when I read scripture, because I have all these questions and there are never responses for them, right? There's like not an answer. Because what was so different about Jesus' teaching? Was his tone different? Did he use different words? Was he invitational? Was he declarative in his speech? What was it? But he encounters a man who we're told has an unclean spirit, and he silences that spirit, casting it out of the man's body. And then, of course, now more questions arise. So how did this man get into the synagogue? Because according to Jewish law, his presence would have made that space and everyone there unclean. What happens after the healing, right? This big thing erupts in their midst. What does everybody do after that? Was this man restored to his community? How fast did news spread? What were the disciples doing while this was all going on? Were they super excited that they had dropped their nets and their jobs and ticked off their dads and ran after Jesus? Or were they feeling a little bit cringy at this very, pu- <laughs> at this very public ex- exchange? And again, these are questions that pop up that like swirl in my brain that I can't have answers to. But what we can know that that those encountering Jesus' words and actions, those folks were astounded and amazed. And this man was freed from whatever force was oppressing him. And from the very beginning of Mark's gospel, our gospel writer signals that no oppressive boundary will withstand the divine authority of Jesus. And Jesus has no credentials or influence here. He doesn't have any political or military power. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a scribe. Frankly, he just had this strange cousin who ate locusts and then who just got arrested. And then he had this entourage of these four fishermen following him as he shows up in Capernaum. But somehow Jesus has this confidence that what is residing in his spirit and what he said and he did was from God. And that divine authority wasn't wielded to make himself more important. It wasn't wielded to get himself followers or subscribers. It wasn't used to get money or status or positions of power, but instead that authority was used to serve humanity. Mark structures the stories in chapter 1 to communicate who Jesus is and why his words have power. And Jesus' authority is shown both in word, in the teaching in the synagogue, and in action in the removal of this spirit. And I imagine what it would have been like for the folks in the synagogue that day. 
Because people are just going to church, right? Like we go to church. Perhaps we come because of tradition or curiosity, ritual or obligation. Perhaps they arrived for, with a desire for spiritual connection. But what we do know is that they showed up in the synagogue that day. They listened to Jesus teach, and they allowed his words to bring newness and transformation for them. Reverend Debbie Thomas writes, somehow, somehow they were open to the possibility of surprise, of encounter with the divine, of trust that God might show up and do something different and new. And I wonder if we approach our lives of faith similarly. When we gather here today, do we anticipate that God might surprise us or move us or challenge us? When we gather with the people of God or when we gather in nature or when we're sitting in prayer, do we anticipate that we actually might experience divine presence? Perhaps it's too much to hope for at times. Reverend Thomas goes on to say, many of us are deeply, and rightfully so, very skeptical of authoritative religious claims. We have really good reasons to be jaded. When it comes to hearing God's word, we've been really hurt by authority figures that we trusted. And given those realities, how do we, how do we still make space for Jesus to show up and surprise us? How can we make sure that we're not so entrenched in our theological and political and cultural viewpoints that we may fear and resist the new? And these are especially hard questions to ask ourselves if we've been following Jesus for a long time because what felt new kind of becomes old. The fresh becomes familiar. We kind of hunker down for a comfortable and perhaps predictable long haul And sometimes we can forget that Jesus came and still comes to make all things new. The audience in Mark's gospel was amazed and astounded by the work of God because they allowed Jesus to be unfamiliar in their midst. When the kingdom of God draws near, the people who encounter it are no longer the same. So demon possession. All right. You guys, there's no good segue to it, so I was just like. (laughs) In a Western and white, non-evangelical church, many of us have a hard time contextualizing an experience that someone would classify as demonic possession. And there are some of us here who are well-versed in that language of supernatural entities. And you know what? I bet we could have a real interesting (laughs) conversation about our stories and experiences and maybe a lot of trauma. But many traditions, especially during the writing of these biblical texts, and some even now, you know, they understand demonic forces as just part of the reality. Chad Myers writes that the modern debate of whether or not we can believe such things took place, it's kind of a misplaced energy because it fails to address the function of this kind of story in Scripture. The possibility of extraordinary extraordinary manipulations of the physical world or the spiritual world, it was never questioned in antiquity. That's kind of like how they were able to make some sense in their world. But the miracle doesn't lay in that. It's in what's symbolized in terms of the wider scope of Jesus' mission. And Mark goes to great lengths to discourage us from seeing Jesus as just this popular healer or a magician, which would have been common 
in ancient society. And Jesus constantly is discouraging people from fixating on his acts of healing or exorcism because he wants them to look at a deeper meaning. He wants them to look at what it might mean in the context of a God who breaks into their world. And if we approach scripture as a history book or a science book, I suppose it might be, feel really important to believe or disbelieve, to prove or disprove demon possession. Some of us spent a long time trying to, trying to read the Bible through that lens. But if you imagine the Bible as a sacred text designed to communicate just a larger story of God and humanity, it becomes so much less important to ask what or how as much as it is to consider why. Exorcism stories in the Gospels are are more about the story being told than the details of that event itself. I think the more interesting question is, why does Mark include this story? In biblical language, impure or unclean in its its simplest forms means that anything that's contrary to the sacred. Mark doesn't tell us what's afflicting the man. Jesus' gospel, the good news that he's bringing is a healing word and action for that man, though. He doesn't show up with thoughts and prayers for this guy. He doesn't signal for someone to get him out of there because he's an important guy with important things to say. He instead speaks to the man. He confronts the thing that torments him, whatever that was, restoring him to community and to wholeness. Because the words of Jesus bring newness and amazement to those who came to the synagogue that day. And Jesus' words also disrupted whatever forces were at work in their midst. Why does Mark include this healing story? Because when the kingdom of God draws near, people who encounter it are no longer the same. And while we may not be able to identify with the idea of evil forces or demon possession, we do know what it's like to suffer under the weight of things that can diminish us, that can distort us, that can wound us, that can feel heavy to carry. We may know what it's like to lose agency and mobility and dignity to forces that are just too powerful for us to manage on our own. And whether we regard those forces as spiritual or physical or theological or cultural or systemic, this gospel story tells us that those forces are in opposition to the work of the kingdom of God. The healing for the man is liberation, giving him agency over his body and voice, restoring him to community. Our own healing is liberation as well in the many ways that our healing shows up as we move towards wholeness, as we're restored into community with God, with self, and with one another. The Jesus illuminated in these verses the one who steps directly into the pain and the ugliness and the spectacle of it all, he's there in the midst of the chaos. He's ready to engage that which diminishes the beloved. When was the last time that Jesus astounded and amazed you? Can you recall a time in the recent past when the presence of God in your life caught your attention 
and held it. When a sacred moment, when an encounter, when a word or an image or an experience made you stop and pause. Where in the midst of our routines and rhythms might we experience awe and amazement? Where is the voice of authority, of grace, of healing that can snap us back into a full and vibrant living in the now? So the same question kept rising up for me this week. Do the words of Jesus make a difference to me? I don't know if you're supposed to ask that as a pastor, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> does it make a difference to us? Not in like a shaming way, not with a note of judgment, but is there space for me, for us to be astonished and astounded and transformed by the work of God as the people in the synagogue experienced it or as the man in our story experienced it? I kept pondering that question also, this weather makes it real easy to be kind of brooding and kind of like, what's it all about? And I kept coming back to this response, and I'm going to feel super cheesy the way I say it, but cringy, as my daughter would say. I really can't let go of Jesus. There are a lot of things I used to believe that are no longer useful in my faith expression. There are 2,000 years of interpretation and scholarly articles and opinions by Theo bros to sift through, and there are terrible images and horrific actions taken by people and systems all in God's name. And some days, man, all the conflicting versions of this faith tradition make it really difficult to stick it out. I don't believe half the things that I used to. And yet, I can't, at the end of the day, I can't let go of this vision of God in the person of Jesus, who enters into the mundane with us, who tells us it doesn't have to be this way forever, who restores what feels broken, who silences the voices and the systems that seek our harm and diminishes our belovedness, the God who embodies divine love in a person, the one who transforms everything he encounters. And you guys, that feels like holy amazement. And on the days when I can believe it, I'm going to hold on to that. That feels like the kingdom of God in our midst. I wanted to end our time this morning with a poem by Jan Richardson, which is called A Blessing in the Chaos. To all that feels chaotic in you, let there come silence. Let there be a calming of the clamoring, a stilling of the voices that have laid their claim on you, that go with you, even to the holy places, but will not let you rest, will not let you hear your life with wholeness or feel the grace that fashioned you. Let what distracts you cease. Let what divides you cease. Let what come, let there come an end to what diminishes and demeans and let depart all that keeps you in its cage. Let there be an opening into the quiet that lies beneath the chaos where you find peace you think you did not think possible and that you might see what shimmers within the storm. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women 
who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org.